Cast and Blast Conversation, Season 2, Episode 28. Super unique episode coming to you guys today. Uh, good friend of mine, longtime listener of the show, guy everybody in Florida knows, Mike Elfenbein, um, reached out to me recently. We were able to connect with some folks in South Florida, and I was given the opportunity to go down and interview some members of the newly appointed water sub cabinet uh president trump recently created the water sub cabinet through an executive order which is in the show notes and so i'll got to go down to miami and spend uh, probably an hour with these folks um i will tell you i'll give you just a, a little bit of a heads up there's a little bit of popping and some and some noise issues is the most people i've had on a remote recording so i, I fought through that and um, I, I think it came out listenable and it's it's a good interview you're really going to appreciate I think what they have to talk about, uh, their perspectives and how committed they are to making sure we have good water. Um, so thank you to the Department of Interior, uh, the the uh, EPA and the Army Corps who all participated in this interview, but also there are some other uh, USDA and, and a couple of other groups that are part of that water sub cabinet. Uh, thank you guys for checking it out. I think you'll enjoy it. The water sub cabinet is coming at you right now so i'm sitting here in sunny south florida with the members of the water quality sub cabinet um, i guess it's not quite sunny south florida i guess it's kind of cloudy today but i'm gonna go around the room and kind of introduce them i'm gonna start with mr dave ross from the epa uh david ross how are you and uh I teed him up already a little bit beforehand, but we're going to start with you and tell us uh, who is Dave Ross. All right. Well, hey, thanks for thanks for having us do this. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time. I'm Dave Ross. I'm the Assistant Administrator for the Office of Water at EPA. So in professionally, that means you know the Office of Water oversees water, surface water quality, groundwater quality, drinking water, wastewater, uh, ocean quality near the coast, a uh, fairly large portfolio. Uh, it's, a, it's a bucket list job. Um, absolutely a bucket list job when I got a call from this administration to come in and serve. Um, that is, it's just, it's, you know, it was a, like I said, hitting the bucket list job. Um, so who am I? You know, you, we were talking a little bit earlier. Um, you know, I'm from Wisconsin, and in fact, I still live in Wisconsin. I commute back and forth to Washington, D.C. Um, my family lives in a, in a small old farming community just north of Madison, um, you know, where we have a boat on Lake Mendota a couple miles from the house. I get home, try to get out in the water, uh, get the kids out. Um, and so uh, it's, uh, I, you know, as an environmental lawyer by trading, uh, by training, but um, started out as an environmental consultant, uh, you know, made the mistake of going to law school, <laughs> um, but uh, it's turned out okay. Um, so uh, really significant uh, experience in, in water law, water policy, uh, and, and also on the technical side back in the day, you know, in wastewater turning wastewater and drinking water on the technical side. And so I carry all that into my current position, but it's, a, it's great to be here. Before we move on to uh, Aubrey, I've got to ask you a couple of questions here. These are the baseline questions and everybody that comes on our show has to answer them. So um, I'll, I'll go ahead and tee them up for you. One is when you're out on the water, the woods, doing whatever you do for a hobby, what is your go-to snack? I feel like that's super important. And then two, you can go ahead and answer is, do you have strong feelings about pineapple on a pizza? <laughs> well, the first question is absolutely easy. I'm from Wisconsin. Out on the water, out on the pontoon, um, tri-tune. It's uh, it's beef jerky and uh, cheese curds. Okay. I mean that is that is just that's the most Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. 
I, I am absolutely <laughs> predictable in that, and I, and I embrace the stereotype. I love it. Uh, pineapple on pizza, you know, I'm not a, uh, I, I, I believe in diversity, but uh, I don't really like diversifying my pizza. Okay. That's the right answer. I'll go ahead and tee that up. That's yes. <laughs> we'll see what your, what your colleagues and folks have to say. Aubrey, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Who is Aubrey Betancourt? Uh, I am professionally, I am the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Water and Science at the Department of the Interior. That means we oversee the U.S. Geological Survey and the Bureau of Reclamation. And the hook there is, personally, I am an unapologetic California farm girl. Uh, Third generation on the family farm in the central San Joaquin Valley of California, which is the largest agricultural region in the United States, in the largest agricultural producer in the United States, and at certain times of year, the world. Uh, And so my background is actually in ag water. Um, ag water management policy, uh, then that branched into over the course of my career, uh, rural water quality issues um, and infrastructure particularly. Um, led me through a 12-year consulting career out west and then um, did some consulting all over the United States, basically teaching people how not to be California um, in some ways. And, uh, and then did some water management in Australia and uh, found myself at the Department of Ag, uh, USDA, and then appointed at the Department of the Interior. Um, in my free time, I hunt, I fish, uh, I go to the Turner Classic Film Festival. I usually at any given time have a little black dress, a pair of boots, a shotgun, a fly rod, um, and um, something with sparkles, typically a brooch. <laughs> um, so I, I try to be a, the, the just all-American girl, that's it. That's awesome. So what about, let's, uh, let's establish your credibility for a minute uh, snacks on a boat, pineapple on a pizza. So snack bag, uh, and everybody who's ever been on a trip with me knows I am going to get myself a nice big bag of roasted, lightly salted California almonds. Okay. I'm going to have those with me at all the time. I like geographic loyalty and snacks. Yeah, that's, it's, that's it, a, that's it, you know, and I really appreciate it because that means my, I, I thank you. My mother thanks you. My father <laughs> thanks you. We grow almonds. I got to have my almonds. So, um, usually have those. And when you get to the bottom of the bag, it's time to get out of the woods. So that's, that's a sign. I actually do like pineapple on a pizza, but so let me sorry. let me get there. Hold on. California. It's a thing. <laughs> There's a place back home that makes what's called the hot Hawaiian. It's grilled pineapple. It's spicy three kinds of bacon, uh, and we also drizzle some some jalapenos on there. It's fabulous. It just lights you I'm up. Cut, you cut me out. All right, you cut me out. It's all good. I, yeah, you know, I gotta be different. <laughs> Tim, Dr. Tim Petty is here, also from the Department of the Interior. Uh, tell us who is Tim Petty. So thank you, Travis. It's a pleasure just being able to have some time with you. Uh, and also with the water sub-cabinet members, we've got a good group here. Tim Petty is born and raised in Indiana, born on a farm. My family still is back in North uh, East Indiana, still agriculture, still farming. Uh, My father was a large animal science, so we also had areas dealing with Holstein cattle that we milked. I grew up milking, hog farm, and now mostly just plants. So corn, soybeans, tomatoes, the classic aspect of Northern Indiana agricultural farming. So for me too, just growing up as well, guns right there at the door as you come and go, hunting, white-tailed deer everywhere, uh, groundhogs trying to keep them out of the soybeans, raccoons keeping them out of the corn, and pigeons out of the hay barn. So because Holstein cows won't eat hay when the pigeons are around. 
And so all kinds of aspect of target shooting, even though I must admit my mother could always beat me on target practice for anything with a 22. <laughs> That's but, awesome. uh, so, uh, but after college, Purdue University, Midwest Indiana Engineering, and then uh, graduate school, University of Maryland Business, and then my PhD of surface hydrology from the University of Alaska Fairbanks. Okay. So I've been in a lot of places, a lot of research, a lot of study. My whole world is around water. And I, simple molecule, but incredibly important. And I love all aspects that deal with water and engineering. And so water and science, as Aubrey had mentioned, it's Bureau of Reclamation, Water in the West, but then also U.S. Geological Survey, which is where we're interviewing in the, a USGS office here in Florida. But then I also am the chair of the South Florida Ecosystem uh, Task Force. And so a big part of our day here uh, this week has really been spending time on the ground, uh, walking with each one of these in the field, getting to know the locals, the impact, from all areas of ag to sportsmen to communities, life, water, quality is uh, essential. So give us your, your fun question answers. Okay. You go so into the woods, you go into the water, what's in your snack bag and, and your feelings about pineapple? So snack bag was from a little kid all the way through my years of running in track and field. Pop-Tarts and a can of Sprite. Oh. Whether warm or cold, it's amazing. Sprite will dissolve all things Pop-Tarts. And <laughs> the follow-up was Twizzlers. That's so, oh. That is my son's go-to is a Twizzler. Yeah. Yeah. There's, Twizzlers, There's Twizzlers in the bag. That sounds like it kills blue-green algae. Does it yeah. do that? Maybe we could maybe we could use that as a strategy. The part of it is is those Twizzlers can stay in that bag for about two years before they really start getting hard. Yeah, it's amazing how yeah, of how long they stay soft. Okay, and then pineapple on a pizza. Yeah, so you know, pineapple and ham pizzas straight up. I love them whenever oh I can have gosh. those. So I DOI on this is just fine. Yeah, right. <laughs> We didn't slurp Yeah, right. <laughs> we did all. <laughs> Fair enough. Ryan Fisher, how are you? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. So tell us who is Ryan Fisher. So Ryan Fisher, I'm the Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Army for Civil Works. That means that we oversee, our office oversees the Corps of Engineers policy and, and budget of the Corps of Engineers, their Civil Works program. Um, so, you know, re reservoirs, um, ecosystem restoration, all the flood control uh, navigation reservoirs we have around the country. Uh, locks and dams on the Ohio, Mississippi rivers, that sort of thing. Um, I came to this job. I've been appointed. It's been three years now. I uh, previously was in the Pittsburgh district of the Corps of Engineers, spent 10 years there doing uh, planning and, and outreach in the environmental branch there. Uh, previous to that, I was, um, I, I guess my real connection to some of this is I worked for the vice president when he was a uh, congressman. His first three terms in Congress, I was his legislative director there. Born and raised in Indiana, spent uh, uh, Weiss from Pittsburgh, spent 10 years there. Yeah. Hobbies? Hobbies. I've got three kids, so it's a lot of pre-algebra homework for me. <laughs> I'm not jealous of your hobbies. <laughs> um, Go-to snack? 
so yeah, we've done, you know, in a COVID environment, my family, we've just done a lot of hiking, right? This, this summer, that was our thing. And you just some, yeah, some straight trail mix, you know, just M&Ms, peanuts and raisins is, is my go-to. And do you have strong feelings about pineapple on a pizza? I mean, this is a land of opportunity and choices. And I believe pineapple belongs on a pizza if you yes. so choose that. Wow. <laughs> wow. I cannot believe that this is the most consensus we've gotten on pineapple on a pizza. <laughs> we should just do a solo interview with me. I think that's where we're going with this. You'd like to hang out. So for our listeners, I'm going to try to stay in the order of Dave, Aubrey, Tim, and Ryan, so you can kind of know who's talking when. Dave, we're going to start with you, go around the room, uh, and you guys just take turns one after another. Uh, we're here to talk about the newly created water quality sub-cabinet. So just kind of tell me what that means. What does that mean to you, and what does that mean? At its base level, good government, better return on the taxpayer dollar. That is, it's, it's getting the major federal agencies with money. Uh, that oversee major water policy in this country to try to integrate our resources and deliver um, a better return on the investment for our taxpayers. It really is about efficient and effective customer service, breaking down the silos between these agencies that have the lion's share of, of, of jurisdiction within the water space and putting the customer whom we serve back at the center of what we do. Um, that to me is what the water subcabinet uh, provides for at the highest level which then allows us to do things like prioritize and accomplish. Um, so once you have that, who's your customer, all elements coordinated on that, then it's easy to quickly say, what's the priority, go get it. And it's about then delivering those services. So listening back up from the customer and delivering back down to the customer. Water subcabinet to me really focuses on relationships. All of us have issues and problems and that we're supposed to solve them and you can't do it alone and that's just the way i'm wired but if i've got a problem it's easier to pick up the phone not only complain about it but fix it and i believe as a uh, public servant as a public service it is the need to solve all the issues that come before us and the water sub cabinet to me just made so much sense where I can, it's not my own problem. It's other agencies problems as well, including state and local. I'd say the water sub cabinet, I consider it a kind of a natural extension of the administration's one federal decision policies, right? That was one of the first things um, the administration got into was, was picking a lead agency to, to lead certain things and everybody else cooperating with that lead agency. Um, I think that's what we're we're hoping to do here. It's a, it's about one federal voice too. So if you come and you talk to Department of Interior about a water resource issue, or if you talk to Dave Ross at EPA about that issue, or myself at Army, ideally you're getting the same answer, and it's because we've all coordinated ahead of time, and the federal government has a, a single position on a on a certain water resource issue. Oh no, I, that's exactly right. I mean, it, it um, you know we have different missions. Mm -hmm. uh, each one of us has a has a different mission, but we all. You know, at the end of the day, we all report under the same administration and more importantly to the people, right? Mm -hmm. It's a government of the people for the people. And so when the, we see things slightly differently on behalf of our agencies, but we need to align to deliver a service. Water supply, they're trying to supply water. Mm -hmm. Army, Corps of Engineers, some of our reservoirs, we're flood control, we're releasing water, we're dumping it, right? So you got somebody holding it, somebody dumping it a lot of times in the same watershed, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, if we're not coordinating appropriately, um, it's not gonna, it's not gonna look right. So that's the, one of the big benefits of this, uh, the relationships so that we, 
we're getting things right. So this kind of reminds me quite a bit of something we see in Florida a lot. You know, you can have agencies like we'll have FWC taking care of plants and DEP handling water quality and FDACs covering stuff going into the water and the water management districts and the core and all these kind of disparate agencies. And that's not a knock on them because I think they do a good job and they're, they're really attempting to work together and stuff, but this kind of codifies that or makes it uh, kind of streamline some of the inefficiencies. And uh, Dr. Petty, I think you were going to, you were going to talk about some of the inefficiencies that you've seen uh, this eliminate or that this hopes to eliminate. I can go through a number of categories of inefficiency. I've spent decades working in Congress, working on the Hill and inefficiencies where they create sideboards legislatively and language. And then what do they do? They hand it off from the legislative branch to the executive branch, and they tell the executive branch, go execute. And when that gets to that point of execution, you've got someone like EPA who's there to regulate, right? That's their mission. And then you look at even uh, Ryan Fisher with the Army Corps or myself with Reclamation, we're infrastructure. So you put infrastructure with regulation and you've got problems. You've got log jams and the question is how then do you create the ability to blow out all the log jams that are holding all kinds of things back? And that then creates phenomenal in you know inefficiencies and so it just piggybacks off of each other and those are the big parts where all of us working together is there's just log jams all over the place and so inefficiencies abound we're here to figure out how then do we streamline that so that they can work again well yeah in the executive order one of the primary examples of inefficiency is institutional inefficiency built into working groups advisory boards you name it I think we, we've identified when we started looking um, about 300. Is yeah. that just, over, uh, just yeah. yeah, exactly. And growing. And, and growing. Yeah. We started our first uh, kind of evaluation was about 140. And then that jumped with a little bit more effort, with a little bit more agencies added in to the sub cabinet. We hit 250 like that. And we're over 300 now. Yeah. And so you're looking, so there might be 10 working groups, different people in our agencies all focused on drought, um, but nobody coordinating. And so, you know, you know, just the meeting time, the staff time, the taxpayer resources, and we had professional meeting attenders. And, and I, I, I mean, I, I, it's not a great way to characterize some of the work that's been done in the past, but, you know, we have looked into and identified we have just too many working groups, but not coordination. So, um, they, you know, they've been coordinating, but not coordinated. And so our goal is to try to coordinate all those different working groups, consolidate where we can, and focus on a few core priority objectives. Um, and that's just, that's an example of good government. I mean, we have other examples of the inefficiency. Uh, the Columbia River is an example where you have three agencies here all looking at the same water body, all looking uh, uh, up, yeah, up in the north, yeah, Pacific Northwest. It's Washington, Oregon, Montana, Idaho, and then obviously even Canada. Yeah. And so we, we all had our own models all modeling the same exact issue to try to put in a management plan. And so just getting the three agencies to get our models to talk together and use the same data. To the outside world, you gotta be, you gotta be kidding me. Like, why would you need three models? Why wouldn't you have three agencies using the same model? And so it's things like that that we're able to identify uh, you know, and fix 
through the senior leadership. I'll also say this just kind of as a, as a guy, not knowing any of you guys from Adam, um, it seems to be like a lot of transparency here. A lot of we're willing to pull back the curtain and, and kind of work together. Is, is that a fair way to characterize it? Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. Uh, that's a big part of this. Um, we're responding to taxpayers. We're responding to um, cost share partners here in South Florida. We, you know, if we're not transparent, then um, the state of Florida is not going to know where to match their dollars to projects and, and uh, how to how to uh, implement their water quality strategies with us. So yeah, transparency is going to be continue to be a huge deal for this. Well, and I'm a firm believer that you know most of the problems that we're trying to address, someone out there might already have the solution. Right. Whether they're within our own agencies and bureaus. I mean, a lot of times what we have found, having come from a field position at USDA, I found out that there were answers from 25 year careers who had great working relationships with the other agencies. But when I got higher up in the strata, it was disjointed and it was territorial. And so being able to not only solicit within our own agencies, but also talk to our customers and say, who's got an idea? Or who's figured out how to solve this? Because I'm a firm believer that those closest to the problem are most appropriately situated to find me the solution. And so being able to solicit within our own agencies, foster this relationship within our own agencies across at the ground level, but also at the policy level, um, but also being able to communicate with our customer base as well and, 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 and get that information and get that information across, right? You get a call, Ryan, how many times you've gotten a call from a customer and you've said, Aubrey, I've, this might touch sure. with you and I need some help and here's what I'm hearing. Can we get on the phone with the same customer and hear it together? Um, Dave, I know we've done that. I know, you know, Tim, we do that constantly with so many of, of the different contacts and relationships that we have. And it helps us to clear those log jumps that we just can't see. So I'm actually going to reverse the order here and start with Ryan and go the other way around. But I want you guys to tell me about your week. Tell me uh, about your experience here in Florida, kind of what you've been working on and what you've seen, what you've done. Yeah, so they got down here a little bit earlier than me. I've been down in the past, obviously. Um, I think uh, we saw a lot of rain this week, that's for sure, down here. Um, I think the, the thing that uh, continues to kind of blow my mind, so to speak, is I, I mentioned I, I spent 10 years in Pittsburgh, right? So you come down here, you see the system from Kissimmee down to the Florida Bay, and it's, I don't know, you know 150 miles or so, and they, someone told me the elevation change is like 20 feet, right? That, that was my driveway in Pittsburgh, right? So it's it's interesting to to to, to see these different landscapes and and see see how precious the water resource is down here and, and what it means not just not just to Florida, uh, but it's na nationally significant and, and globally significant ecosystem here. So this week has been fantastic. Really heading up with just inviting. Uh, Ryan was the uh, individual that said, "Hey, to Water Sub Cabinet, we've got a good event. It's a Tamiami Trail." Uh, kind of ribbon cutting and celebration. Why don't we all get together and come down? And that's what we, Lake Okeechobee. We were on both sides. We were on the west side. We were on the east side. And we just traveled literally the way the water flows. And we had different meetings set up. We were looking at water quality. We were looking at infrastructure. We were looking at design. And we were with different communities, the tribes, the locals, that people impacting both west and east and hearing from them how they how it's impacted differently um, based upon whether it was going which direction and that was so helpful to understand and see so that began it then Tuesday we were literally out um, both on the south and north side of Tamiami Trail with different community groups with the Park Service and Interior all the way up with tribes with uh, ranchers and 
and users out in big Cyprus. Sportsmen's were out there. We spent literally the whole day with them as well that were part of airboats as well as swamp buggies. That was an amazing experience. It really was. And just seeing how people are on this landscape, right? In areas that you would never think that they would be located and they were right there. So um, I, I, I have a my family actually, uh, part of my family immigrated through Tampa. So I, I had some Florida connection coming down, but when we were tasked with, and this was, let me let me kind of back up a little bit here on South Florida Ecosystem Restoration Task Force, kind of how we got involved from a DOI perspective. The water and science sector at DOI is not traditionally who is involved with the South Florida Ecosystem Restoration Task Force. It's typically uh, fish, wildlife, and parks. And uh, kind of one of the brilliant perspectives of our secretary, Secretary Bernhardt, was he, he's, he knows so many of the issues across the country so well, um, was looking at ecosystem restoration in South Florida and said, this is a water problem. And get down there and put, you know, the assistant secretary for water, you know, water and science on task force, change the dynamic, start looking at this through the lens of water to achieve goals on the ecosystem side. And um, something I'm familiar with coming from out west, but usually it's dealing with too much, you know, too little water, trying to achieve problem or achieve solutions. Um, but you know, I, I had the privilege of being sent down for a week and uh, earlier this year um, and follow the water, but I did it in reverse. <laughs> um, but got to see it again from the landscape perspective, and uh, so being able to come back and and uh, this time get into some other parts of the territory. Um, especially in Big Cypress, was really spectacular. But for, for, for me, the biggest thing this week was um, Dave and I always, you know, coming from some farm backgrounds before, we basically, sometimes D.C. sucks. Like, <laughs> sometimes? Got, like, gotta get, get out of the beltway and, you know, when, you know, get out and get your boots dirty. And um, I haven't worn high heels all week. It's been fabulous. Don't get me wrong, love them, but it's been fabulous. Um, to be out with hardworking people who live off the land, whether we're talking about our sportsmen and our guides, or we're talking about um, farmers and ranchers, we're talking about ranch turners and engineers, people who have to make daily decisions down here. And um, getting us out of the Beltway and back involved with our customer, it's just, it's touching ground. It's a, it's a touchstone for us. And that's always the biggest thing for me. Yeah, well, first of all, I the swamp buggy thing i i thought it was like a golf cart on top of a levee and um and then, and then, then you got to the end of the levee yeah, yeah it's like oh monster truck does you know meets golf cart you know star wars, actually. <laughs> yeah there's a little star wars there's feel to it too, feel yeah. to, it. Uh, I, to me um it, i mean it's just been looking at the infrastructure talking about the great work of the uh, the restoration and the task force um to me what i came away with is connection to the land so being out with the sportsmen um, who are out there hunting and fishing, uh, sometimes they're just out there listening. They just sit and listen. Uh, the, the, we were with tribal representatives and seeing their connection to the land, their, their cultural and their economic connection to the land. We met Pedro, the superintendent of uh, the Florida Everglades National Park. You know, the, the, the common thing that he was talking about was connection to the land. You know, different people, with different perspectives, all with that common connection to the land. And, you know, coming from Wisconsin, we all see things differently. That's fine. But if you're in the hunting and fishing community, you care deeply where you get your ducks Mm -hmm. and you care deeply where you pull the bass out. And if you don't have the water quality or the wetlands quality to support those two resources, um, they get really angry. 
um, it's a, they have a different connection, um, perhaps than the tribes, um, but you know, and, and other users. But they, it's it's a connection nonetheless. And and down here you see, and I think it's trying to replicate that around the country is how do you translate that connection to the land that then gets you into big ticket restoration? Mm -hmm. And that is that's what I got, particularly out of that day. Uh, a Tuesday out with with the the great folks that we spent some time with, just amazing people, really amazing people. You you, you guys were primarily in Big Cypress, is that right? Big Cypress and actually into the Florida Everglades. So we went south and we went north, um, and and that was that was eye opening, right? You know, we would need more water south, and yet we have too much water north. Um, I was, you know, impressed with the water quality in both places. Very, you know. It's you know not what people like where we're from in D.C. or in Wisconsin, you know the stereotype of what you think the Everglades look like. You know the sea of grass. Does, you don't really know until you get down here and appreciate it. But different flow regimes. But we were both south and north, and it it really helped with us understanding the the amazing challenges with the flow dynamics down here. Ryan, I'm gonna start back with you. Um, you guys are obviously in Florida this week. We're talking about Florida some, but. There's a lot of other projects that this uh, task force, this, this subcommittee, uh, this executive order touches, uh, Mississippi River, Great Lakes region, I think. Can you can you maybe start and we'll go around the room and you guys can talk about some of the other stuff going on there? Sure, sure. I think um, I'll, I'll start. I don't I guess I don't have a specific project for you, but I think, you know, my boss is the assistant secretary of the Army for Civil Works. And we obviously have a, a flood control and, and navigation mission. Um, and he, he views, like we talked about earlier, with if you have competing missions, if agencies have competing missions that uh, maybe we're not getting the, uh, the, the navigation on the Mississippi River right, or, or maybe our, our flood control impacts that um, uh, navigation as well. So we got to keep those tied together and, and, and um, being able to talk to uh, Dave Ross and Tim Petty and Aubrey Bittencourt, it's, uh, it's easier to, to help us meet the mission that we've been authorized by Congress to do. So let me just give you a couple of examples that are literally part of the president's executive order and hit on some of my key ones. And I know Dave and Aubrey can hit on some of the others. So the, one of the big ones is drought. So I co-chair with U.S. Department of Agriculture Undersecretary Bill Northey, who's not joining us today. He had a representative down here with us for three days. But uh, drought, it's critical. But it, a, a good example is Mississippi Basin just east of the Colorado Basin, one is dealing with more water than it can handle on the Mississippi, and yet we're in a 20-year drought on the Colorado. And uh, Bureau of Reclamation has all these huge, massive western dams as well. Hoover Dam is under me, uh, Glen Canyon Dam, all of these incredible dams that are trying to manage water through the Colorado, but we're going through a drought. It specifically focuses on areas of drought. At the same time, it focuses also on the executive order on forecasting and modeling. Uh, Admiral Gallaudet of NOAA is not unfortunately here, but part of our sub-cabinet, specifically working with the U.S. Geological Survey on what does forecasting look like in the future working with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and their research facility, working with EPA and their research facility, working with USDA and their research facility, as well as Bureau of Reclamation and U.S. Geological Survey. All of them are doing different areas of research of what does forecast look like. Some is seven days out, some are two days out, some are 10 days, two years, 10 years. What do all of those have in common? 
And if we're not together figuring out what those different areas are looking at so we can look at forecasting, we're a broken record and no one is going to play with us, right? No one wants to put, it on, put us on the turntable if we're not helpful. So those are some of the areas that I want to highlight that are really critical, but the, the list is long. I, I, I suppose I'll jump in real quick. Uh, a recent success is Columbia River EIS, right? Um, we, uh, we just signed a record of decision on that environmental impact statement. Uh, there was a joint, joint decision by the, uh, the Army and, and DOI. First time ever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. First time ever. And that's, uh, I think that's a direct result of um, the, the water sub-cabinet working together and, and bringing agency folks together to, uh, to expedite that study. We did it quickly. But we also did it efficiently, and we heard all, all we could from the public um, and all the stakeholders up there. And you're talking about hydropower, navigation, irrigation, just you name it. Every, every possible competing water resource issue is in that, and we, we, we successfully got that record of decision done. And it was from the president's direction on leadership that told us to not only do something important, but to do it together. And what is really unique, and I can't, and I won't ever stop not talking about this, was because the record of decision for the first time were three unique action agencies together that signed one record of decision. And what that does, though, that the audience and the normal people out there that are working day to day was that in the past, lawsuits were occurring because different federal agencies wrote different plans that conflicted with each other, right? And so the lawsuits occurred because different groups were not from the beginning working together to solve the issue. And so with the Army Corps being selected as the one federal lead agency, the rest of us were mandated to do our job, but do it in coordination. So when we signed that record of decision collectively we said we did our homework we did all the work we came up with the right research areas of making sure that our math was correct and we handed it in saying to the judge we did our math correct and we all agree and we're all signing this together a couple of examples and, and thanks for folks in other parts of the country i know you guys are really focused down here in 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 southern florida and also in the mississippi basin a couple of other examples uh, great lakes uh, it's it's a huge focus of this president. Um, we've we've gone after some additional funding. We're trying to make sure we're spending the money as best we can to the, to restore that crown jewel up in up in the in the Midwest. Uh, but you know we were all there uh, in Ohio a couple of weeks ago, uh, taking a tour, looking at our different. We've got water quality. EPA focuses on water quality. Big issue that will resonate down here, invasive species. Mm -hmm. Different types of invasive species. I'm quite frankly, I'm glad we're not dealing with pythons up there. Um, Aging carp, yeah. So, so Ryan's agency is responsible for trying to figure out how to run our infrastructure to stop Asian carp. Um, you know, and you know, Tim's USGS provides a lot of the research support for both the Asian carp um, also, but also sort of the water quality aspects of what we do up in the Great Lakes. EPA is focused on ensuring that our water quality provides, it's a, it's, you know, it's an amazing source of drinking water, huge fishery, recreation is so important to the Great Lakes. Some of the, and, and each lake is different. Lake Erie, we've got too much nutrient load. And so we're up there working with the various stakeholders in the state of Ohio and our, and our partners and friends at the Department of Agriculture to work on the western basin of Lake Erie to make sure that, you know, we don't have one impact to the fishery, impact to the users, the boaters, uh, but it crossed over to what I do for a living, which is drinking water. When the city of Toledo 
losses drinking water supply because of harmful algae blooms. And so we are directed to better coordinate our efforts up in the Great Lakes. Uh, Tim mentioned drought. Um, you know, we have had amazing commissioner, Brenda Berman of the uh, Bureau of Reclamation, spending some time with her. You got, we talked a couple years ago talking about drought and sort of what can we do to help? And so out of that conversation of the, of the, the informal sub-cabinet at the time, um, the Department of Energy, uh, through a White House-led initiative, did the Groundwater Security Challenge. Innovation technology, how do we influence technology and make it more efficient to, to do better water treatment, whether or not it's desalinization of the ocean or reuse of wastewater. EPA spearheaded with, with our, our federal and state and local partners the development of a National Water Reuse Action Plan. We convened all the folks that we work with in our industry. We, you know, we dispose of billions of gallons of wastewater into our surface waters every single day, week, year. Um, and these guys need water. And so our job is to try to find new sources of water so that they keep water in stream and so that our farmers out west can be able to irrigate their crops. Mm -hmm. And so that is DOE and EPA making it our priority to find water for them. That is what this, this executive order does. That's what this water sub-cabinet sub has done and can do and will do in the future. So I think the only thing I'll tack on to, you're, you're hearing a lot of the diversity. This thing is, it's all encompassing in a lot of ways, but um, the how is just important, right? And so Dave touched earlier on, you know, the, the redundance of all these working groups. One of the absolute directives is look for how to supercharge existing groups, focus and prioritize across the agencies, pick a lead and go. That also means eliminate the waste, right? Um, co concentrate the resources and concentrate the these these redundant groups or eliminate the redundancy where, where necessary. Um, so that's again feeding that efficiency and going towards that um, you know focus priority supercharge go get it accomplished get it out on the landscape. Another part to that too is um, you know coming from the west it's it's about infrastructure right and this is in the title of it whether we're talking about building new in which case these agencies are now being told to come together and look at innovative ways to coordinate finance for infrastructure development um, whether we're talking at the macro level and we're talking about reservoirs and conveyance structures or we're talking down on the ground at the field level um, how are we making sure that all of our programs um, don't cross each other but also are leveraged to their maximum uh, effective use, right? Um, and then uh, that also goes to using existing authorities, using existing resources to um, to to maximize water flexibility for the for the new era of water management, right? We relate to our resource different than we did when a lot of this infrastructure was built. Coming out of the West, our infrastructure was built 100 years ago for two types of water use, and the population was half the size. We now have three types of water use, and the population is double. That's just the California model, but that's happening all over the country. This is a new era. This is a new era of looking at it. We're not going to, I think we're better and we're smarter and it all integrates with all of this. How we use the existing resource, how do we invest in it appropriately um, to meet the modern day relationship and the modern day demands. And that goes to, you know, when we do sound science, yep, we, we get consistency in releasing water or delivering scheduled water at certain times, but we do it, we have to make sure our forecasting is accurate. Being early isn't good enough if you're wrong. And we've seen that in other parts of the country. So this is about, catching up, quite frankly, um, for the 21st century, and move, and then focusing and leaning forward. I mean, we've spent a lot of time catching up individually. This is about to get supercharged for the 21st century, and that's exciting as a water geek. It sounds like uh, it, it's intended to provide a lot of agility 
Um, you use the term pick a lead and go. How does that work? Well, you guys are around. I mean, uh, so it depends on, you know, if we're dealing with big projects or little projects. Sometimes it's designated and we know who the lead. But when we're talking about tackling some of these projects, it literally is who has the highest expertise or the most resources in that space. And that's usually the lead that we get behind. Um, and then we all coordinate from under that. And, and that goes from, I mean, we apply this strategy from macro level, like the Columbia River uh, reconsultation, all the way down to this trip. DOI had the lion's share of the space, get in line. But a portion of that was Army Corps. We coordinate very well. Um, but it is about empowering those who have the highest level of expertise and then making sure that the rest of us are providing those expertises that we bring to the table uh, to, to support and coordinate that effort for accomplishment. Yeah, and, and I think what will drive sort of the lead um, is a lot, get back to Aubrey, your, your opening comments, is the customer. Yeah. So where is the most relevant customer endpoint? Mm -hmm. And so um, you know, if we're looking at you know, uh, drinking water availability in rural America, I, I have a lot of money and my agency has a lot of money that, that is spent there. USDA has a huge amount of money and they've got boots on the ground in every country, every county in America. And so if we're looking at you know infrastructure in rural America, USDA is the voice of rural America and they trust, their people are there in the county and the locals trust USDA. And so you, in, in a situation like that, you lead with USDA. Um, you know, you know it, sometimes EPA is scary when you're out in rural America, quite frankly. We didn't have a very good reputation with our ag users. And so when I'm trying to reinstill trust in what I do for our agency and our mission, you know, go to speak with you know, Bill Northey and his team coming out of USDA, they're, just, they're a trusted voice in rural America. And so you tap into that. Um, and you lead with that, which is that's good government. Can't emphasize that em enough. And so when we were just up in Cleveland, we were there together. And it allows us to have good interaction and answer the questions that the customer is asking, whether it's a farmer, or a fisher, or a hunter. When they see different agencies working together and that those relationships are real, and they see that in the agency to agency, they're they're willing to say, here's my problem, how do you think we can fix it? And we've got people there on the ground that gives us those capabilities. Yeah, just a, go to a farm, and we, we did, we went, out, went to farm outside of Cleveland, um, and when, when EPA shows up, you know, usually it's there to inspect. Um, when USDA shows up, usually it's there to serve. Um, and so, you know, we, you know, it, it's sort of like, you know, someone walking onto a captain's boat, it's permission to come aboard. Um, you know, when I was there, it's permission to come aboard. You know, it's their farm. You know, and what, is, what does EPA know about running, you know, row crop and, and animal agriculture? Um, what do we, you know, we, we like to say, this is how you should manure or manage, you know, your system. But a lot of the people are saying, you know, dictating the manure management have no idea that that is a capital asset sitting in the lagoon. It is not a waste product. It is a capital asset that's critically important to that farmer. People in my building probably don't know that. They haven't been taught that. They haven't experienced that. So we have to tap into USDA to help you know get that understanding in our common policies. I'm just thinking, you know, so, you know, I think you're spot on in terms of, you know, who the customer base is. And when I think about, you know, if we're talking about um, meeting an ecological goal, right, we each have expertise. But, I'm, you know, so many times between core and reclamation, we're being we're water wielders, whether we're getting rid of it or we're hanging on to it. 
Um, we're trying to deliver for multiple missions, so then it's about tapping into our science entities and making sure that we're all coordinated and on the same page in that. And, and that's been a huge component to this. I think in the science space is uh, that our ability to put the the um, your customer in mind, whatever the goal is, identify that, then have the, the action agencies sitting in the same room as the data and science community and say, look, here's our constraints. Here's what we can and cannot do. Here's who we're trying to serve. And really try to do that reverse engineering and putting them all in the same room and trying to get that back around to what's feasible, what's practical, what's applicable. applicable. And um, to get us to you know, where we're trying to get to on those goals in that, in that space. We, we don't have all the agencies uh, represented that are in the water sub cabinet at this table. Who are, who are we missing? Uh, Dr. Petty, I'll put you on the spot. So there's three of six that uh, are part of the sub cabinet that's specifically named. So you have department of interior and EPA as the two co-chairs. So both of our secretary and administrator are the co-chairs and that has been already designated to the other four and so army corps of engineers department of energy commerce noaa and i'm missing one of them usda you grew up US department, yeah. US department of agriculture <laughs> undersecretary bill northy ryan i'm going to start with you when we had a pre-call the other day someone termed this i don't remember who it was somebody in this room this is kind of a new era of water policy so I know we've talked a lot about it. We may cover, this may be reiterative, but sure. but kind of talk about what that means to you. We'll just go around the room and put a bow on this. Yeah, that sounds like something Aubrey would have said. I'll, we'll coin that to her. It's, that's a great phrase, and I think she's exactly right. Um, for, for me, for the Army Corps, it's partnerships, okay? So we have heard a lot this week down here in South Florida about partnerships, and none of this none of this stuff, getting water to move south, all these projects that we're, uh, we're putting in the ground to, to restore the Everglades, that doesn't happen without cooperation from the federal family that's here talking to you today, uh, the state, uh, Governor DeSantis, and uh, Florida DEP especially, um, the, the tribal interests here, the Miccosukee and the, and the Seminole tribes and all, all the other uh, folks that we've, we've talked to and seen this week. So, so I think when we talk about a new era of water policy, it's about dialogue and partnerships and continuing to communicate on, on water resource issues. The concept of new era is what are we doing now? I think the federal taxpayer, the, the taxpayers of the United States thinks that we should just be doing this naturally, but it doesn't come naturally, the partnership. It is literally, we were doing it before the president said, I need you to get out there and really do it and communicate how you're doing it, which is picking up the phone and talking to a different agency that says, I think we can solve this together and work for the American people or individual or community or state that's got the issue that we need to help work alongside them. And that is the new era that we've got to really recognize. And water is the perfect area that does that because it transfers across state to state. And if we don't fix that, then I'm not sure what we can't fix. And that gives us that avenue to say, we've got to be together, work together, float together, and make things really transformative of what we're trying to accomplish. I would say, uh, I did not know Dave Ross until I took this position, but I think Army and EPA probably have the best relationship they've had in several years, right? Mm -hmm. So I, it's, been, it's been great working with everybody. We even gave Ryan a key to EPA. He had his own badge to get into our, <laughs> get into EPA. Delivering on one of the greatest WOTUS rule. 
um, you know, and, and, you know, that's something that uh, I'm surprised you guys didn't mention it. I thought that was like tattooed on your arm or something. <laughs> Check. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's why. So, so decisions are made at the speed of trust. The, the, the power of convention here is what to me is very exciting about this new era, right? The idea that when um, they all are getting together on such a regular basis, identify, it forces them to identify, codify, and verbalize their priorities as an individual entity, and then put that in concert with everybody else's priorities. And then work together. When I'm in a room in um, DOI getting a briefing on a subject that might be off of the Mississippi watershed, I'm not just looking through the lens of DOI anymore. I have just enough awareness of what the priorities are in that watershed for the Army Corps and what also is going on with EPA in that same era area. And so I'm bringing that new perspective and that new set of resources, not only to my own agency and bureau, but I'm also bringing that into the room as well. And that, that power of convention, and to me that's, that's one of the, the biggest parts of this new era is it's an integrated water management approach and we have not seen that before. And it begins with a relationship. Um, Tim walked into my office in January 2018 and said, hi, I'm Tim. And uh, my agency looks like we're spending a lot of money doing what actually your agency either uses or should be doing. It became this conversation that grew over time. And yeah, we really do truly enjoy each other's time and the relationship. You add in a president who directed the agency's, the one federal lead executive order, right? That is a, a huge direction. Um, so I'm trying to get to the question of why, why now, why a new era, uh, and, and part of it is, is you know, so there was institutional impediment to integrated federal planning. I've, I've worked at local government, I've worked in two different state governments, and I've now worked in the federal government, and there's a commonality among all of them, and that's you, you work in a silo, um, and your job is you think you have your mission, you build your budget, you try to go get that money, and then you got to spend that money so you can justify your existence. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got a disease in this country that, that is um, people care more about taking credit for doing something rather than actually just getting it done right. Um, and so what we have worked on is breaking down the silos, breaking down the walls. Uh, we've got this problem inside of the Office of Water. I know you guys have it over Department of Interior. You've got two different separate agencies yeah. reporting into the same assistant secretary. Um, and so breaking down the walls inside our own agencies and then breaking down the walls between the agencies to deliver on a common goal. Um, and I think, you know, they're, you know, why now? You've got a president who was focused on breaking down that wall to deliver um, deliver services to the end user, mm -hmm. the customer. Get outside thinking about inside the beltway. Um, we're, not, we're not there just to glorify the existence of the federal agencies. Mm -hmm. Our job is to take the money that you, the taxpayer, gives to Congress, that wheels it to us, and to deliver it back out to the taxpayer. Right. Um, and so that's what we're focused on. Um, and so our job, you know, with this executive order, it helps institutionalize what we think is good government and, and to make this, now our job is actually to institutionalize this underneath us in our agencies so that when someone leaves, we're not all going to be here. Um, you know, at some point, this team is different, mm -hmm. and, but this initiative needs to stick, and the executive order helps us account. You almost call it a cultural change? It's 100% a cultural shift. And doing cultural shift inside government is really hard. Mm 
Um, I mean, it's it's hard in it's hard in corporate America, you know, in private sector, really hard inside of of government. It almost has to be generational, really, yeah. to to make it stick, right? I yeah. mean, that's that's the trick to that. Yeah, and, and that's and so do we we put in systems, get teams in place. I I'm going through a, a reorg in the office of water to set it up to be um, able to implement this executive order, and so trying to align those two different initiatives, and that's institutionalizing you know, this new thought process. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but it will, it, it's not overnight, you know, and we, we will fail from time to time. Um, yeah, but it's not going to stop us from trying to keep, get it right. Uh, but uh, it's uh, our goal now, now that we have the executive order, is institutionalizing this. It doesn't stop just because someone walks out the building. Mm-hmm. So I'll put a copy of the executive order into the show notes. But I think, Aubrey, if people have questions about this, they want to learn more about it, where can they go? How can they get more information about the water sub cabinet and everything you guys are doing. So we, we operated as Fight Club for so long. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, first of all, read the executive order. And I hope you can see yourself in the executive order. We tried really hard to, to, to do that. Um, and uh, the, the best way, the, the other part of this is, is because it's about who the customer is at all times, you should be able to approach uh, the water sub cabinet. So um, first of all, we want to hear from customers. We're looking for opportunities to listen. Um, to to get in front of other organizations and, and entities and, and hear from them across across the landscape and that's something Dave is always keen on making sure we're listening to what are the options and ideas out there. Um, so if you've got an entity and you want the sub cabinet to go on a roadshow, we we want to hear from you. Um, reach out through any one of our individual agencies and departments, or and I can't believe I'm doing this yet again. You can call this phone number two zero two five one three zero three. One four. So um, I can't promise that I'll get back to everybody at uh, any given time, but I do know this. If I don't know, I know someone who does, and you know that's our job. It's it's your government, not ours, and um, and we should be able to be providing that service. Thank you guys all so much for doing this. We really appreciate it, and I appreciate learning about this, but also seeing kind of on your faces and as you're as you're talking the the transparency and the cohesiveness and the the thing that I kind of hope. It's what I want my government to work like, right? We really enjoy uh, talking about it. I hope you can tell that. And we really appreciate you taking an interest in it. It is, you know, folks like you, they'll help get the word out. Um, And and that's that's critically important. So thank you for doing this. Travis, thank you. Cast and Blast is, wish you all the best in the great work that you're doing. And if there's anything we can follow up with, please don't hesitate. Huge thank you to the Water Quality Subcabinet members for giving us so much of their time, being so generous with us. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to this. As always, we are here every Tuesday with a fun morning type show and every Thursday with a deep dive into conservation of some sort. So if you enjoy what we're doing, make sure to check us out. Tell a friend. You can leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Thank you guys for listening. Hope you have a great weekend.